0: My name is Jordi Mueller, and welcome to Between the Head and the Heart, a podcast by Lexington Wealth Management. And today we're starting a new series. Um, We are all living through this kind of like different times through COVID-19. And we thought that one of the things that is kind of like not being talked about is how much this is affecting life. Uh, from home, I'm working from home. For those professionals that give advice in our industry, in our networks, uh, sometimes they are peers, sometimes they are economists, sometimes they are business owners, and uh, they all help form or shape some kind of idea and uh, messaging and advice that we as advisors in our industry uh, then provide to clients. Um, we thought it would be a great idea to like reach to these people at home because just like us, they are starting to work from home, they have to deal with uh, everything that, that takes and adapting to, to having your family around, your dogs around, and, and to be honest, they also have to worry about themselves. And they go every day, in and out, and still do their job that influences, many times, thousands of people. So today we're starting that series. We hope you enjoy it. Um, we probably will not ever get into like individual advice uh, to, to what to do with your portfolio. This is about getting to know them personally. Um, so if you spare 10 to 20 minutes in this unusual time, we encourage you to listen to us, to subscribe to this podcast, and we hope you enjoy it. Our first guest on this series is David Morton. David Morton is the chief global market strategist for Rokuton Investment Advisors. Uh, Rokuton is one of the two research firms we are partnered with, along with uh, Dimeo Schneider. Schneider. Um, David is one of those guys that every time he is in the phone or part of the meetings, his voice and comments carry a lot of weight. So we thought it would be a, a great... Uh, person to interview through through these times. Uh, He talks to a lot of people all the time. Uh, He tends to be uh, that person leading the meetings and not just being part of the meetings. And and we really wanted to check in how he's doing at home and also how he sees this whole context besides just the financial markets and the economy. So with that being said, uh, here is our conversation with David Morton. Good morning, David. Good morning, George. How are you? <laughs> can you hear me well? Yep, no uh, problems. Yeah, can you yeah. hear me? I can hear you excellent, which I was a little worried since it's the first time I'm recording from home, <laughs> and um, okay. there's nothing I can do to run to the office right now. Um, I, I
1: gotta, I gotta tell you, Apple AirPods work really well.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh man um i was uh is this how early you usually wake up like for calls at 8 30 or you, ha- you already had one
1: <laughs> uh you know i've been working since about just before seven so oh, man.
0: Um, it's...
1: Yeah, there's, a, there's a
0: lot to do at the moment <laughs> so where are you calling right, where's calm for you right now
1: I'm in a town called Larchmont, which is in New York State. It's the town next to New Rochelle, if you've seen New Rochelle on the news in the past few weeks.
0: Yes, not, not in a good way, I guess. So how's, yeah. how's the situation at home?
1: Oh, fine. Um, you know, social distancing going on. My, my daughter is not in, in school. She's a senior in high school, but she's doing remote learning. Um, at the moment, um, she already knows which college she's going to, so there's less pressure on her, and and I guess the, the school was sort of even though there's remote learning going on, it's not as intense as if they were actually in school. Yeah. And my my eldest is away at college, and, and he's on spring break, and there's uh, it also has sort uh, of his term is remote, so um, he's often the uh, actually in Wyoming right now.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, which I guess from all the parts in the country that you could be, uh, that's probably not a bad
1: one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, he flew there a few days ago from New York City. I, I don't think he's self-quarantined like he's supposed to, but uh, but yes, he's uh, potentially no. less exposed to the virus there.
0: Yeah. I it was, it was one of those that uh, barely got out of Spain a couple of weeks ago this Saturday after um, uh, President Trump announced uh, that they wouldn't allow. So that Saturday, I got back, and uh, we've been doing our best to self-quarantine, but still go outside a little bit. And uh, it's not easy. No. It's not easy. <laughs> so, yeah. so I can I can understand your son. So, uh, David, this is going to be a a completely different call from the ones you usually have. Uh, something I thought of doing was. Um, that that we're hearing a lot of uh, medical professionals, uh, people on the front lines of this crisis, and it occurred to me that uh, as the financial markets uh, are having still a lot of stress, a lot of volatility, a lot of just the human side of finance is coming to to the top. Uh, for all advisors in the country. And honestly, for a lot of people, like even even if you don't invest, (laughs) you're thinking about your money. Um, Nobody's really talking about how the people that have influence and have to be kind of like on their game 100% through the calls that that they are during a a day, uh, how are they doing? (laughs) And I thought uh, you are one of those people that, um, believe it or not, you carry a lot of weight with your words. and then it gets translated into sometimes what advisors uh, incorporate in their messaging for clients uh, across the country, and uh, and I wanted to see just like the personal side of that. And uh, we're going to be intervi- I'm going to be interviewing a few people um, that are also professionals, and and they are definitely working uh, extra hours, and they have to be extra diligent with their words. So uh, that's what that's what this is for. So so it's going to okay. be a little different. The I do wanted to to start, and it's going to be short. It's going to be ten minutes. Um, the, the first thing I wanted to ask you was that I know a little bit about you. I know I've known you now for a, a few years, and um, as probably most of the people listening right now, they they know that you're not from here. That you're from England. Uh, you're a U.S. citizen now, and uh, but but you did attend the London School of Economics for your bachelor's degree, and and I have to say, it's the London School of Economics and political science. And I think that that yep. makes right now it's becoming a little bit of a important ingredient to mention, right? Both economics and the political science are together. Did you sure. ever Did you ever envision how your days as an economist would be when you get older?
1: Um, well, I wouldn't actually refer to myself as an economist. Hmm. Um, I, I tend to make fun of economists more than that would actually tell anybody that I am one. <laughs> um And you know, despite the school that I went to in the name, um, once you read the full name, there is a lot more variation in what you could study there than if you just said I went to the London School of Economics, right? It sounds like all you do is economics. And I have to be honest, um, I actually didn't do any economics, the <laughs> economics. <laughs> um, it, you know, the higher level economics courses I took were part were um, in my MBA when I did that, which was at NYU. At NYU,
0: yeah. Um,
1: the, what I studied at the LLC was international relations. Um, so... Hmm. Um, you know, and, and back in those days, I graduated in 1989. Um, back in those days, it was very much about the Cold War a relationship between the U.S. and allies uh, versus the Soviet Union, as it was at, at that time, hmm. um, and other other subjects as well. But that was sort of what sort of dominated sort of the uh, um, the, the conversations and, and study study and courses and so on, uh, that I took at that point. Um, so, you know, I, I think as a, a, you know, to get back to your question, um, I I think as a as a young undergrad, I had actually no, no vision whatsoever <laughs> as to what adult life was was going to be or what I would end up doing, yeah, uh, and where I where where I would actually end up being geographically either.
0: Oh, I was I was literally going to ask you those two follow up questions, like what was the world like around you, but most importantly, if you ever thought of ended up in the United States, uh, living full time with your family.
1: Um, no, I, I think. Um, you know, I actually came straight after uh, school. Um, I, I met uh, who was to become my wife whilst I was studying at the LSE. She was studying um, at a different school in London, spending her junior year abroad. So we moved. I moved here straight after school, and. Probably only really was thinking of coming for a short period of time,
2: uh, <laughs> like for, tends to happen. For me.
1: <laughs> yeah, for, for a few months or something like that. I mean, when you're when you're 21, i, I know yeah. what most people are like. But for as I was as a 21 year old, long term was a few months.
0: Yeah, <laughs> so, no, I, I get so, you. Yeah, long term sounds so like I, a, like a few months right now.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, it does. And and frankly, this month feels like it's gone on for six months already.
0: Yes, um, I agree.
1: Uh, you know, the t- time time has different meanings at different times, right?
0: So, so I wanted to uh, to ask you something uh, about your working history, and and it, it for me it's it's it creates context of where we are today and, and where you specifically are today. And um, I want to talk a little bit about two thousand eight. And I know your biography, I know where you were working, but it it would be useful if from your perspective, uh, or at least professionally, like from where you were professional, you could explain how, what was 2008, where were you, what, what were your days like uh, back then?
1: Um, so so the year um, uh, 2008, you know, It's it's hard to sort of think back and remember a lot of detail as sort of the year unfolded uh, because it's, it's looking back it's such a blur um, it, it, was, it felt very much like this month did in, in many ways uh, but it went over a longer period of time obviously it was uh, the full year mm-hmm. remember in, in February March time frame we had uh, the Bear Stearns issues and uh, um, mortgage hedge funds in, in Australia blow up, and and that was on the back of what was already seen as being some fairly deep parts of the mortgage market. Non-agency mortgage market really struggling. I'm gonna mortgage finance industries. I'm gonna
0: interrupt you Go right there, David. I um I wanna I wanna get a little personal here, and it's like, do you remember what position you were working on, and like where, like what was your role uh, at the time?
1: Yeah, I was, um, I was at Rokoton.
0: You were um, at Rokoton, okay. Yes. And then... Yes. Uh,
1: we, we, we founded Rokoton in 2002. So um, back in 2008, uh, I spent a lot of time looking at a variety of different fixed income options. I worked with a, a, hmm. a couple of clients directly at that point. But I was uh, pretty deep in a variety of fixed income instruments, uh, hmm. broadly across those markets, both high quality and and lower quality, and started in two thousand and seven, really, to see that there were cracks opening up in the fixed income markets, and some asset prices that that just didn't seem to well, it moved in surprising ways. like let's put it down. And as two thousand and eight unfolded. Um, so by the end of the year, I'd gone from, well, let me put it this way, I'd gone from spending most of my time on conventional fixed income at the beginning of 2008 to a major portion of my time being spent on uh, distressed alternatives Mm -hmm. um, throughout the year, which came full circle back after sort of the fall of Lehman. and. September, October, all the way back to more conventional options, because they were so cheap in late 2008. You didn't need to be. You didn't need to be creative and go to a, a long lockup uh, alternative credit fund or distressed credit fund. Hmm. You could merely buy the Vanguard High Yield Fund or the Vanguard Convertibles Fund. You know, there is a there was a wide range of what we felt were high quality. Um, lower, similar lower quality. So neither of those is high quality. But there were a, a number of high quality fixed income instruments that were trading at levels that seemed to assume that we were never going to get out of a crisis, and uh, oh, man. that the the end of the financial world was was upon us, and yeah, and so on. So so by the end of the year, you know, in December, I, th- I think it was December of two thousand and eight, we sent you know a long memo to clients. Maybe it was. 13, 15 pages long, which dealt with uh, a whole series of uh, treasury markets. There was a page on tips, there was a page on bank loans, high yield, CMBS. You know, you go down the list, All the, many of these assets had moved to um, dislocated levels. That meant yeah. that you know, the, the choice of you're, – you're sort of spoiled with choices of where to go and get in, invested. And you didn't need to be terribly creative. Um, in terms of sort of complex vehicles or long lockups or private equity structures, you could really go out and buy a mutual fund in, in a wide range of uh, fixed income opportunities, which which in our view would return um double-digit returns and we, we didn't know when they delivered double-digit returns we just felt that the balance of probabilities was overwhelmingly in the investor's favor at that point
0: you know what i um as, as listening to you describe the entire year uh, i can't stop myself thinking of it, it was not just a moment right like we we usually i guess also in the finance industry we always refer to 2008 if it was just like one moment in time and we forget the days, the weeks, the months, the different progressions yeah. and changes that happened through 2007 all the way to December 2008.
1: Yeah, it was sort of a, yeah. it was sort of a cascade of, of issues. Yeah, exactly. And you you started the year with one set of issues that resulted in fair sterns, Yeah. and you had several months where there was rising stress, but <laughs> if you like no, no meaningful events... And yeah. then of course you got a lot of events in a short space of time yeah. towards the, the end of the year. And and then I think everybody remembers that the Fed and the Treasury and all of the programs that they instituted, it took a while to get those up and running.
3: Yeah. And yeah, it, to, yeah. new territory for everybody. everybody.
1: Yeah. And so you had this sort of rising tension, rising stress, real distress, real bankruptcy, real failings of major businesses. And, you know, the playbook being figured out in real time at the same time to try and address all of the different challenges and, and deal with it and, hmm. and, and so on. And, and all of that took weeks and months went- rather than short periods of
2: time.
0: I want to ask you, like, obviously, as we uh, are all, ex- and I will, I will move really fast to, like, what we're experiencing today and how your days are today, but one, what was, what is one of the things or, or maybe the one thing you remember that was crucial back then that you were conveying to, to the people you were talking to in your personal life or the financial people that that is completely relevant today?
1: Yeah, so... So I think the and this isn't just sort of informed by 2008, but uh, I ran a pension plan back in
2: 1998.
1: <laughs> <To> go, <laughs> Let's go ten go years way, before that. <laughs> we go way back. and I remember in 1998, with the uh, the failure of long-term capital management and all of the other things that were going on at that time, stock market fell fairly meaningfully um, during during that year. Uh, I forget the month where maybe it was August, but but anyway, I forget the month exactly. But I remember going to a meeting with my CFO and the treasurer. Treasurer being my immediate boss at the time, the treasurer wanted to sell our equity exposure in the pension plan. Back then we had over 70% of the portfolio in equities. So we were feeling real pain in sort of the Martin Gareth total value of the pension assets. Hmm. And um, I took the opposing view, which was this would be the worst time to sell equities. And it was a very difficult emotional conversation because you didn't know what was going to happen next. Just, you know, if you believe that the, the economies are going concerned, concern, that markets will clear at some point in time, that will deal with the issues that, that, are, that are surrounding us, I mean, selling into a downdraft like that, for a portfolio that's a long-term portfolio, yeah, um, it's not there to meet short-term needs, it's there to meet very long-term needs, is not a good idea. And, you know, I opposed the decision or the not the decision, the, the discussion about selling equities at the time and it was uncomfortable, but it was the right decision to make. Hmm. Fast forward to 2008, the same thing happens. We have... Uh, we had at that point many clients who couldn't believe what they were seeing, couldn't believe the extent of the downdraft in their portfolios, had no idea what was going to happen next in financial markets, how we were going to get out of those financial problems that we had, the economic problems that we had at at that time. Yeah, and and there's there's an emotional reaction which is to stop the pain.
2: Yeah,
1: and. You know, it feels at the time that stopping the pain and making it not get any worse is, you know, it, you know, maybe the the right thing to do for for some people emotionally. Um, we 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 oppose. We oppose people reducing risk at at that point in time. We didn't add to risk immediately in, in the crisis as sort of late 2008 deepened as a financial crisis. We weren't buying equities into the storm. But by sort of after a couple of months... You know it passed october november by by december we'd assembled lots of ways for clients to take risk where we again we felt the balance of probabilities was in their favor yeah um we had lots of investment committee meetings at the time mm. where this same sort of emotional reaction where i want to cut risk i want to stop the pain um was was very real and very difficult for people to process and deal with but it would have been the wrong decision.
0: Yeah, it definitely um, feels to like today.
1: <laughs> for, for any portfolio that is long term in nature, it would have been the wrong um, wrong thing to do. And remember, the market didn't trough until March of two thousand nine. Uh, but we felt that there was there was help on the way with all mm. the programs that were coming along, and that the you know we'd already priced in a lot of negative news and uncertainty and that we would get out of it at some point in time. No idea when we would, but we would get out of it. And so it felt to us at some point, certainly by late 2008, that the time was right for, for buying more risk in a variety of different markets. And that if we gave that message to clients strongly, um, we would help them get through sort of the emotional side of, of dealing with such a, a major correction.
0: It's funny, like, I'm listening to you and this is this is what I personally call the David Morton effect <laughs> internally at Lexington, which is uh, you, you have a way of creating context to, to situations that feel different, <laughs> that uh, calms people down and uh, or, or gives a little perspective. So I appreciate that. So thank you for that. Um, I I wanted well, to. It's, it's
1: good. To, it's good to have that exterior, of course. Yes. Internally, I'm emotional as well. <laughs> well, that's what I was
0: gonna ask you right now. It's like
3: um, uh, that's like the facet, but like the fa- the professional
0: way of dealing with things and logical, and and it's 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 not easy. I mean, it's not easy. Uh, so so I definitely appreciate it. Um, I wanted to ask you something uh, that that is relevant to today and and a little bit of how your days are going right now. It's. Um, I'm assuming you're in like hun- like hundreds of calls a week, like little calls, little texts, little emails. Not thinking economically or financial market terms. Um, what is one concern you currently have?
1: Um,
0: uh, well, a tough I want like
1: my children. I want my children to continue to social distance <laughs> um, as, as much as possible.
0: Yeah. Um, <clears throat> it.
1: Yeah, you know, I, you know, and then so you're you're asking away really from the day job and just in yes. sort of regular life.
0: Yeah, um, I'll tell you mine. Mine is that not enough people take it seriously enough for us to be okay soon.
1: Yeah. Um, So I feel, I I I feel. So I'm concerned about sort of the balance um, between doing the right thing for uh, the health of the popular individuals, the health of the population, and also not bringing the economy to a sudden stop. And yeah, I think that there's. There's a balance between those things, which, over the last two weeks, we've gone from um, maybe wanting to put the economy into a sudden stop uh, as a knee-jerk reaction to try and catch up, perhaps, to having been slow off the mark in dealing with the problem, all the way to, oh, we can't stop the economy completely, let's relax the the constraints. Yes. Yeah, they're, they're really, you know, the the best approach is to balance the two. I am not sure that we have the right balance yet today, but it's you know, and certainly I think the uh, two trillion. I mean, two trillion sounds like a, it it's is crazy. a lot, right? and and then the Fed and then the Fed has another four trillion in, in per, you know, mm-hmm. in, uh, in liquidity to offer to the marketplace. Um, you know, those things help sort of balance out the issues, but we do need to balance them. You know, hmm. I think that there is, you know, listening to a PD, pedi- uh, you know, I can't even say the word. Yeah,
2: it's
1: okay. <laughs> okay. Um the The health experts, good, good. The health experts, you know, are, are offering great advice on how to deal with uh, the health of individuals and the population at, at large, you're know, you know, putting the economy into a deep, long recession, if not depression, um, will cost lives also. So we have to Keep in mind that there are, um, you know, if we're really thinking about the total population and the long-term health of, of the most people can't just bring the economy to a sudden stop and throw lots of people out of work, destroy businesses, um, so on and so forth, because yeah. poverty kills just as, as much as, as a virus does. So, yeah. you know, we, we have to sort of, you know, keep in mind that there are those two things.
0: What's your biggest hope?
1: Um, you know, I would hope that the social distancing that we have put into place, you know, will help um, flatten the curve. Um, you know, I think it'll. You know, we're you know certainly in New York State and where I am geographically close to New York City, we still have you know material problems, but but people are. I think respecting the need. In general, I mean, there's plenty of examples of people not, but I think the the most of the population is respecting the need for social distancing and taking it uh, seriously and, and being careful. So I'm hoping that we flatten the curve, and you know, cause I, I, getting back to normal might might take longer, but getting back to work faster than otherwise could be. Uh, the case would be my hope, and and I would, I hope that we are in fact successful at flattening the curve, and that you know, towns and cities where there isn't an outbreak like New York City yet are spared sort from of the the worst of of the virus and the spread of the
0: virus. I see, um, David. How does your this is the last question? Uh, how's your work environment right now at home? How does it look like? <laughs> So I actually,
1: I have to say, this is the third week now that I've worked from home. Okay. And um, other than my office chair, which is really uncomfortable and is giving me backache, <laughs> um, I, I just bought a new one yesterday. Uh, it'll be delivered in a few days, hopefully. Um, I, you know, I'm able to start, you know, I, I'm able to roll out of bed in the morning and start work really quickly. I don't have to <laughs> shower this is more information than me need. I don't, I don't have to go shower and shave right away. I don't have to drive to work, which, you know, for me takes between, you know, 30, 35 minutes. Yeah. So I get more than an hour a day back just from not commuting. I get hmm. uh, you know, another you know, you um, know, you know the. You know, the you know, I'm I'm a Time. man with short hair, so so <laughs> showering and shaving takes less than ten minutes for me, so that's it's not a big deal, uh, one way or the other. Um, but you know, it's it's easy to get to work right away, early. So as I mentioned to you, I started right around seven or maybe just a little bit before seven this yeah. morning. Um, and you know there it's I found it quite easy to be very productive from here. Um, hmm. We have team meetings with the video conference, which is working really well. Um, yeah. you know, I, I don't you know it's, uh, can see everybody clearly, can hear everybody clearly. those things are working well. Uh, I had a little bit of a scare a couple of days ago when my cell phone stopped working <laughs> <laughs> um, you know it's which was quite stressful at the time because uh, I was I was supposed to get on a couple of conference calls and I couldn't get in, uh, couldn't get the phone to respond to me. But um, but other than that, it been I, I would say it's been easier to be more productive nice. than here. Well, uh, I mean, it's obviously less social, but it's but it's you know it's easier to focus on the things that you need to focus on and get them done and, and then and move on from that.
0: No, thank you. Uh, I, I think I concur with your comment as well. Um, although I've been trying to shower first before I start my day because uh, sure. it just breaks my routine. But I, I'm, yeah. I'm with you on the shaving. Um, David, thank you. Uh, um, this was a little interesting and fun. Um, uh, different. Uh, I'm assuming you don't get asked some of these questions often. And, no, and I really appreciate your time, uh, honestly. I also appreciate that you're candid with your answers. Um, A lot of the times, uh, people try to put a facet in your position, and and, and we, at least I know you don't, so I appreciate that. Um, I want to also wish your family well, well, and uh, uh, hopefully they stay healthy, and hopefully your son gets back home without being quarantined in a room in your house. (laughs) Uh, You might have to do that, actually. Um, Have a good day, David.
1: Yes, and stay safe yourself. And uh, you know, we'll we'll get we'll get through this and move out the other side.
0: I'm, I'm sure we will. That was a conversation with David Morton from Rokuton Investment Advisors. And uh, thank you for listening. Uh, we're gonna be doing a lot more of this and getting more personal with the people that have a lot of influence in our lives and that are working 24/7 to keep us informed, give us the right guidance. And, uh, but until next time, my name is Jordan Muller. This is Between the Head and the Heart. And please subscribe, share it with everybody and stay safe, everybody.
3: Lexington Wealth Management is a group of investment professionals registered by Hightower Securities LLC, member FINRA and SIPC. And with Hightower Advisors LLC, a registered independent investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through High Tower Securities LLC. Advisory services are offered through High Tower Advisors LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk. And there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referred herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance and it's not guaranteed. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as a general market commentary and does not constitute investment advice. Lexington Wealth Management and Hightower shall not in any way be liable for claims and make no express or implied representation or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data on other information or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as the date of reference. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This document was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of Lexington Well Management and do not represent those of High Power Advisors LLC or any of its